0: Good morning church let's stand together and worship as a family
1: In glory, your love is like the wildest ocean, nothing else compares. in glory. Your love is like the wildest ocean.
2: Oh, nothing else compares. Strong and worship you And if it puts me in
0: week kind of been trapped in the house for a while about you guys we were a couple of days uh, but it gives you time to reflect doesn't it It gives you time to sit back and take stock in the beauty that that god lays around us in the snow and the ice it's beautiful we're able to get out at all as the ice covered the trees sun shone through it it was a thing of beauty absolutely beautiful you know, we think about the time when Christ was unjustly accused and unjustly convicted of a crime that <laughs> he never committed. He was drugged through the street. He was mocked by the same people that just days before were, were, were loving on him, <laughs> were praising him, were giving him all the glory that he deserves. And then we think about that walk to Golgotha. The walk to the cross. That's an ugly picture. Beaten, bruised, bleeding. Yet never raising a hand. And in the ugliness was a beauty just like we saw this week. A beauty that came after that cross and after that crucifixion when he was laid in the tomb. And he became whiter than anything we saw this week. And he did it for you and me. So this morning as we take pause and we meet around the table, and we take a cup of juice and a a tiny cracker and we think about the gift that christ gave for you and i undeserved but he gave it think about the beauty in that sacrifice and think about the gift that only that sacrifice could give to you and i let's pray together father god we love you so much we thank you we praise you we bless your name And God, so many times we crucify you over and over and over again. And God, sorry is not enough. Sorry is not enough. Because Jesus, your son, (laughs) continues to stand and wait and love us after all we've put him through. So, Father, let's remember him today. Let's never forget what he did for us, the ugliness of that crucifixion. But, Father, let us rejoice in the glory of his resurrection and the gift that he gave to us. In Jesus' name.
2: his name we all...
3: pray with me? Lord God, we we thank You for the opportunity this morning. God, we thank You that You are a God who's able. God who will never leave us, never forsake us. You are always, always, always with us. We're thankful for that reminder this morning. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome Shelby Christian Church. Good to see you guys this morning. Hey, maybe some of you have uh, watched a little bit of the Winter Olympics that kicked off. Maybe some of you are choosing not to watch it. I understand that too. Uh, maybe some of you have been watching a little bit of the Winter Olympics. Our family sat down yesterday for a few minutes. Uh, I was watching college basketball and I was flipping through and then a couple members, other members of our family sat down. And like, Hey, let's watch this. And so we started watching the the Moguls. You guys know what that is? Like the the downhill skiing that goes really fast, they go whoosh, 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 do that, you know, and it's really bumpy. And it's like if you watch that for like five minutes, like your knees just start to hurt. You're like, how do they how do they do that? Like their knees must be made of rubber. I don't understand how these people. And then they do like tricks and like flips and stuff. And I'll watch those things just to see people crash. To be honest with you, right? i like, and this one guy wiped out at the end, and that was the most excitement of the whole thing. But it's it's amazing what these kind of things with the Olympics. I think Dave mentioned this last week. Summer Olympics, Winter Olympics, it, it doesn't really matter. Like, these are sports that, like, I would never think about moguls or curling. You guys, you've seen that, like, where they throw, like, the the stone, and then it's like, it's like shuffleboard, but on ice, and it's really weird and odd, and they get out there and they, like, rub the ice and do all this weird stuff, and it's just, like, four guys, like that are just they don't look like athletes. They got dad bods like me. They're just like guys out there. Do, like these guys aren't athletes. They're just playing shuffleboard, right? And so it's just these things. But when you slap the uh, USA logo on their chest, and it's like, all right, these people represent us. Like now I'm I'm all into it, right? I'm like, go USA curling. I have no idea. I would have no probably never ever watched that again. Apparently it's like big up 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 north. Like I don't know if you guys like people up north do that yet. It's like an up north thing, right? And so I high schools do it. Like they, do, they have clubs. And the, a guy called in the radio this so week. Yeah, it's big up in Minnesota or whatever. I'm like, who would have who would have thought this, right? Well, the, the one that I really I really enjoy though, and I did a little I did a little research this week on is is the bobsledding. You guys like the bobsledding is like that's such an intense sport. Now this is a sport. And these guys, and men and women, if you've seen like, like I saw a picture of the, the guys and like the, they had their the shirts off. And like these guys are buff and they've been working out. They look like football, like they look like real athletes. And so they, I, I got to read a little bit about it this week about it. there's a four man and a two man bobsled, right? And in the four man bobsled, there's a pilot. There, there's a, a person who's in charge of the brake. And then there's two people they call the pushers. Right, they're the they're the the ones that kind of just push push it and then they jump in and put their head down and hold on tight. Right, and I, I got to thinking this week about this bobsled team that will, will, will compete in the Olympics, these teams will compete. You know, so the pilot, obviously, like they, they're the ones, they, they gotta have a little skill and they gotta kind of know what, what's going on. You want your pilot probably to be your, your, you know, the one that understands everything about this sled. These sleds with the people in them, the men or women, they know they weigh about 1400 pounds, right? They're going about 80 miles an hour. Most of the tracks are 4,000, uh, 4,000 feet long and they, and they're, and they're going like around 15, 16 curves. So you can like, this is a pretty intense thing and the power and the precision and everything that goes into that. I love watching. So when the bobsled comes on, I'll be all into that and I'll be cheering for, and I'm sure some of the preliminaries already happened for the USA and the bobsled. And I got to thinking about that this week and thinking about the the gold medal families that we're talking about in this series. Because we're talking about, you know, families and what it looks like and and how they function and God's design for them. We're going to get into that here in a second this morning. When you think about families, Alright, everybody has a role. <laughs> Somebody's the pilot. All right, all right, this is where we're going to go. This is where it is. Somebody's calling the shots. And that, that role may vary from time to time. Somebody has to put on the brake every once in a while, right? It's like, all right, let's hold on. Let's think about that, let's, let's slow down. And then everybody else, you just got to jump in, hold on, and keep quiet, right, for a while. And so I thought about, you know, with us and families, it, it's kind of true in families as well. Maybe your family, I won't ask, like, who's the pilot, who's the one that puts on the brake, right? But in our families, we all have these roles that we play. And when we talk about gold medal families in this series, I, I was, I was kind of leery of this title because when you think about that or you hear that, you see that image, you're like, well, well, this is kind of this, this idea of, of this perfect thing, this perfect relationship or relationships. And what you guys know, what, what I know, what we all know is that families and family relationships, it's not perfect. In fact, a lot of times, it's really hard. Like, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but some of you would confess that sometimes marriage can be really hard. Sometimes parenting can be the most difficult task you've ever undertaken in your life, can it? These things that God allows us to be a part of, are wonderful and beautiful and and give us so much. But they can be really, really difficult at times. And and, and they can break our hearts. The the reason why it's hard, the reason why it's difficult, is because in relationships and marriages and with parents and siblings and and kids and, and all that that goes into families, the reason why it's difficult is because it's made up of human beings who are broken. Right who, who, who are messed up if we would just kind of be honest about it who, who live in a messed up broken world And so when we find ourselves In this place and we look at what god has For us for husbands for wives for our kids for our families for our relationships and we understand that that he created it that, that he designed it, that it was his idea, he has this this special um, thing that that he did with families and does with families in this morning that 's what I want us to look at because here 's what you 're going to see this morning in this story that we 're going to share together, this passage we 're going to share in god 's word this morning is that God has designed. A specific design for the family because he created it. He created us. He created it. He created us to thrive within the family unit. And let me just kind of share with you and throw this out here. And 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 don't don't laugh at this. Don't chuckle at this. Don't be cynical at this definition because when I read read this definition that I've been praying about and thinking about, and as I read scripture, kind of just working through this week, don't don't sit there and go, yeah, right. Because it is one of those things when you hear this, it's yeah, right. That's not. How it works. You know, this isn't how it works most of the time. I know this isn't how it works most of the time. Again, because of our sin. But here's what God's d- design is. God's design includes one pure hearted man and one pure hearted woman coming together in holy matrimony. This couple should commit to one another until death separates them. They should raise their children to know the Lord and walk in His ways. And once their children are adults, they should follow God's same design for the family. The one that has been modeled for them by their parents. And you listen to that, you hear that, and you think, oh, that is this pie in the sky. Like, that is like, it is, and it is. But when I read Scripture, and I try to understand what God has for us, as, as men and women, as families, that, that, that's what I see in Scripture. Is that this perfect design... This perfect idea that, that God came up with. A man and a woman and children. And raising those children to love the Lord. And then <laughs> wash, re, re, you know, rinse, recycle, repeat kind of thing, right? That was God's design. But like I said, you know and I know. That that is not the reality. And it's not the reality, again. Because we are people. And we mess up. And we look at that and go, oh, God, this was your plan. This was your design. This was your creation. And it should should break our hearts when we see that that's not how it always plays out in our world. And so you could hear all of this and go, well, then what do we do? It seems like a hopeless kind of statement, a hopeless kind of idea. But I want you to understand this morning that that all hope is not lost because we still have time, wherever we find ourselves this morning, to move back towards God's ways. And so I want you guys to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. In this series, uh, we're focusing on Paul's, the Apostle Paul's letter to the first Jesus community that he started in Eastern Europe. Now here's what you need to understand about this group of people that Paul is writing this letter to in in Philippi. All right, this Philippian letter. He's writing this people, or this letter to a group of people uh, in in this Roman colony in ancient Macedonia. It was full of retired Roman soldiers, and it was known for its patriotic patriotic nationalism so that's the group of people that paul's when he goes to philippi that's what he encounters there it's his community there's this patriarchal colony of of retired roman soldiers so you can imagine kind of the feel of, of what that place would be like paul was faced with great resistance there when he preached jesus as the true king of the world But there was this group, this small remnant, this small group of people who heard Jesus, or who heard Paul's message about who Jesus was, and they were convinced that he was the true Messiah. Paul would eventually move on from Philippi and he would go on to other cities and other towns and share Jesus with other people. But when he moved on from that place, this this new community that he established, that he inspired, they would face resistance from the city leaders and they would get persecuted. But they would remain this vibrant, faithful people. And so later on, Paul is in jail. He finds himself in prison and he wants to write this letter Back to his friends in Philippi. To just simply say thank you. He's saying thank you because they've sent some money his way. While he's in prison, they've sent some money with the guy and said, Hey, here, take this. Use this. We know you're going to need it. We've heard you're in jail right now. So here's some money. Here's some resources. Use this, Paul. We, We wanted to bless you with this. And so Paul's writing this letter to thank them. For what they've done. And in this letter, there's a poem in chapter 2. And this is the center of what we're going to look at this morning. There's a poem in chapter 2 called the Messiah poem. And this poem, the passage, it's it's really powerful. It's something that I would encourage all of you guys uh, to look at, to highlight. Maybe to commit to memory or or to your thoughts and understand like that. This is this is a a really beautiful understanding of the gospel because it's this condensed version of the gospel right here in the middle of this letter. And when you kind of look at the the structure of the letter, this is the heart of it. Everything that Paul talks about in this letter kind of tentacles off. From this this thing that we're going to look at in Philippians chapter two, verses uh, five through twelve, it's kind of the, the heart of, the, of this whole passage or this, or this whole letter. I want us to to read it this morning. So that's where we're gonna that's where we're going to be. Philippians chapter two, starting in verse five. And here's what I want you to to listen to. I want you to hear Paul's words as he's writing to his friends in Philippi. Here's what he says. He says, and it'll be on the screen behind me as well. He says, "You must have." the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He he took the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. I, I want you to to highlight, to, to notice, to underline that word attitude. I want you to, to notice that word humble, a humble position, a, a God who humbled himself, a Jesus who humbled himself in obedience to God. And, and then look at what he says in verse nine. He says, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that in the name of, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the glory of God, the Father. I want you to, to understand that last phrase there that Paul writes in this letter. It, it's kind of a, a nod back to the Old Testament. It's a, it's a hint, it's a, it's a wink back to, to Isaiah chapter 45. Paul includes this phrasing in there, the, the, the idea that every knee should bow, every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Paul refers back to the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. In, in, in Isaiah 45, where Isaiah said this, these were the Lord's words to Isaiah, he said, Let all all the world look at me for my salvation for i am god there is no other i have sworn to my i have sworn by my name i have spoken the truth and i will give i will never go back on my word and then isaiah said these words every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to me and so what paul's doing here it's interesting and it's really important what, what paul's doing here is he's saying hey this this messiah that i'm talking about this this attitude that I'm asking you to adopt, this humble servanthood that I'm asking you to model in your life, you have to understand this Jesus that, that I'm preaching and, and teaching to you about, that's the same God of the Old Testament. That that's the God of Israel. There's this connection between Jesus the Messiah that we are talking about, that, that we say now is God 's Son and, and the Old Testament God of israel, and so paul 's making that connection it, it, Paul's pointing out here that, that this this is the God this is the Jesus that we need to walk, look at look at as an example of how we should be followers and imitators of, of him and his heart and his life and so Paul points out jesus attitude first in this passage. he said that Jesus had the highest position in all the universe. Yet he did not feel like he had to hold on to that position. He was willing to let go of it. He was willing to give it up. <clears throat> the Super Bowl is next Sunday. And I was thinking about this kind of analogy this week. You know, imagine if someone gifted you. You're a big football fan. Maybe you're a big Cincinnati Bengals fan since the are the Super Bowl. And, and imagine if somebody gifted you two tickets at, at, right at the 50-yard line, about three or four rows up. At the Super Bowl, like and you could go out to California, all expense, you know, paid trip. You got these tickets. You're right there, center field. <clears throat> I don't know if you know this, but like those tickets are going like for a crazy amount, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, right? But if somebody gave you those tickets, <clears throat> I said, "Here, this is a gift. It's all paid for. It's all taken care of. Go have fun, enjoy the game, root for your Bengals, cheer them on, right?" And you were to look at those tickets and you were saying, "You know what? Nah." I don't want those tickets. I'll, I'll take the tickets from my other friend who, who's got nosebleeds, uh, you know, tickets up in like the 600 section. I'll just go up there and sit up there. I'll give up that for that. Now, now, what Jesus is doing here is far more important and, and far more, uh, you know, extravagant than, than tickets to a Super Bowl. What what Paul or what, uh, you know, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that what Jesus is giving up, what he is, is offering up is... Is everything. All, all power, all authority, all glory, all knowledge. He gives it all up and he comes to earth. He gives it up, Paul says, for you and for me. Paul says that Jesus was everything and he made himself nothing. He was the master and he chose a servant's role instead. He, he was the creator and he humbled himself and he became part Of the creation. You know how humbling that would be for the creator? He he was God and yet he allowed himself to be crucified on a cross. Do you want to, do you want to lead your family? Do you want to love your family well? Do you want to serve your family? The, The best way for us to do that is to change our attitudes. To understand that what we are called is to be like Jesus in this way. Paul says that your attitude should be like Jesus's. He humbles himself and he serves his family. He serves his friends. He serves us in this incredible way. And so Paul says that Jesus, he took the guilt upon himself Paul says that he was this innocent man, yet he took the blame for all the sins from Adam to you and to me and however many generations there are yet to come. He took it all on himself and he said, I'll take that. You just give it all to me so that you can live freely and be alive. And there's this understanding, there's this picture here of this humble servant, this God who chooses this. Because of us. Maybe, maybe you've heard stories of, of people. This happens every once in a while. On the news you'll hear a story about someone who spent years in prison. And they, they've claimed that they're innocent, you know, and, and they tell their family, their friends, I'm innocent. I didn't do this. And, and so after 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, whatever, you know, there, there's some new forensic evidence, you know, c- kind of paired with the latest technology will come out. And it is proven like that this person was innocent and they've spent decades in jail for a crime that they didn't commit. I, I read a story this week about a guy in Chicago who's been in jail for years and they just now determined that it was his twin brother. Who committed the crime? Like so, you can understand that mistaken, mistaken idea. You can understand a brother. The brother was in jail somewhere else for something else. But like they, they, they figured out because of forensic evidence, all this stuff, that this guy had been in jail for, for I think it was like thirty years for a crime that he didn't commit. And when you hear a story like that, you're like, oh, the the injustice of an innocent man going to prison for something that he didn't do. And when we think about Jesus, he was innocent. He knew that he was innocent. The Jewish and the Roman leaders that put him on that cross, they knew he was innocent. Everyone knew that Jesus was innocent. Yet, he went to that cross. He gave himself up for you and for me, and so what Paul is saying here is, he says, our attitude should be Christ-like. We should understand our role. We're not entitled to anything, but we're enlisted to be Jesus to our family. Bob Russell would always say that, uh, that leaders are not the exception, they are the example. Rather than bending the rules because they are in charge, leaders ought to constantly model what it looks like to follow the rules. I believe the same goes for all Christ followers. We need to model what it looks like. We're not the exception, we're the example. And people should be able to look to us, to our attitudes and the way we live our lives and see what Jesus' attitude was like. I want you to imagine with me for a second. Imagine if a family, if a family that consisted of of parents who followed Jesus' ways and led by His example. Imagine children who were inspired to live and to lead like their parents. Parents who were humbly and constantly modeling a Christ-like attitude in the home. Imagine a family, not a perfect family, not not, not in the least, because none of us are even close to perfect. But imagine a group of people who their goal, their individual goal and their goal for their family was to model this kind of attitude that would humbly serve others and look to Jesus as that example. Here, here's what I want to do with the, the rest of our time this morning. I want to give you guys something that you can really take home and, and, and use this week and kind of apply to your life, the relationships that you're, you're in with, with family members and other people as well. It, it's, it's what I've kind of just said. It's this gold attitude. And I I want to give it to you in a cross. You guys know what a cross is, right? It's just, so the word go, G-O-L-D. And every letter of that word, it just has another little phrase that you can attach to that, that you can can maybe take with you this week and use as you take another step towards God's direction concerning your family. Here's the G, all right? Here we go. The G stands for give up. Now, no, I'm not telling you, I don't mean, I'm not asking you to give up on your family. That's not what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm talking about. I want you to give up your ways for Jesus' ways. Paul said this. He said that Jesus' ways look like this. Dave preached about this last week in Philippians 2, 3 and 4, right before the passage we're reading this morning. He said, Paul wrote this. He said, don't be selfish. Don't, Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Be humble. Give up your ways. Give up your prideful attitude in exchange for humility. You know what Jesus did? Jesus washed his friend's feet. He didn't stomp on them. He washed them. Romans 6, 7 says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law and it never wins. and never will. If a family, if a family is full of prideful, arrogant, selfish people, it will never follow God's ways. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we self-centered Is this all about me? Is this, hey, I'm a king in my castle here, right? I'm a queen in my castle and everyone else is here to serve me and to listen to me and to do what I say, right? Is it, is it that? Are you self-centered or are you others focused? I read this week uh, in some of the notes from a, a past sermon that, that Mark Jones preached. I was looking at over his notes from, from this passage, and he, he had this in there. I thought it was really interesting. He said, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who enter a room and say, here I am, right? Notice me. And those who enter the room and go, there you are, right? You know, the notice the difference. You ever been around people who like, when they walk in the room, they want everyone to notice that they're there, right? They're, you're around them and you just like, you just get this feeling that they want like to be the center of attention. Here I am, notice me, it's all about me. And have you ever been around someone who like, when you're in their presence, the, the focus seems to always be on you. It's like, they want to know about you and, and they are interested in you. And it's like, oh, there you are. How are things? How are you doing, right? That's a whole different attitude, that's a whole different conversation. And so what we, we are saying that we need to give up in this gold attitude is to give up that, that attitude, that prideful, arrogant, that it is all about me and focus on others. Focus on serving those who you live with in your family. Focus on serving your husband or your wife or your kids. Other-centered and not self-centered. Give up. The O. The O stands for own it. Own your stuff, right? Admit when you're wrong. Apologize to your spouse or to your kids when you mess up, mess up. Humbly admit that you're a sinner and that you're saved by grace. Before I wrote this a week ago, I I, I, had, I did this exact thing. You know, situation arises. I allow my words and my actions to not be God honoring with my family, and I have to go to my son and I have to say I'm sorry. Sorry for the way I acted so far. Sorry for what I did and for what I said, right? And, and, and so if you've, if you've never been able to, and it's humbling and it's heartbreaking and it just, it was in my gut and I felt bad and I felt, I was like, oh, this is, I feel I'm, a, I'm the worst dad in the world, right? To go to your kids, say, I'm sorry, dude, will you forgive me? Right? Have you ever gone to your spouse and said, I'm sorry, have you ever gone to your kids and apologized and just owned it and said, I'm sorry, I messed up there. Would you forgive me? We, we have to own our stuff. And here's what we need to understand. Owning your sin is different than bearing your sins. It, it's not a sense of, of condemnation. It's not a, a desperate attempt to earn God's grace back. Jesus has taken care of all those things already. Owning our sin means acknowledging our sin without trying to justify our actions. Hey, have you ever, have somebody ever said, I'm sorry, but, right? It's like, no, there's no but. Just say you're sorry. I'm sorry, but you you shouldn't have done, you know, you shouldn't have said or you shouldn't have. No, no, it's not. That's not how it works. It's just, I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? We we, we own our stuff, right? 1 Peter 2, 24 says, he personally carried our sins on his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. And so Jesus gives us the ability to own our sins, yet not to be crushed by the weight of them. We understand that he bore them so that we can own them. You get that? He bore them so, so that we can own them and so that we can ask for forgiveness and acknowledge them and say, I messed up here. Would you forgive me? And, and then you move on from that. You don't carry the weight of that around for the rest of your life because Jesus has carried that away. And so the O is own it. And the L, the L stands for let go. M- maybe you've heard someone say, you just need to let go and let God. Well, what are they saying when, when they say that, what does that mean? What it, need, it means that we need to be reminded that God's in control. Even when our families may seem to be swirling downward in a chaotic mess, right? Have you ever just had to stop and be reminded and pray, God, you have to be in control of this situation because I, I know that I'm not and I can't be in control. Have you ever had to just let go and let God. You know, I thought a lot this week about why that's hard for us sometimes. Why is it hard for us to do this? I think pride causes us sometimes to take the reins back from God. Sometimes we feel like we can fix it, right? We, we feel like we can fix our kids. We feel like we, we can fix our spouse. We feel like we can fix this situation, and if you've tried, you know the answer to that is that you can't. I can't. We can't. It's not up to us. And so we just humbly go to God and say, God, will, will you move in this area? Will you, will you work? We, we let go and we give it to the, to the Lord. A humble Christ-like attitude says, God, you lead and I'll follow. Sometimes we believe in ourselves too much and we think that we can change the situation or, Or solve the problem. But the truth is that it's God who solves that. It's God who's given you and me. what, What he's done, part of what he's done is he's given us wisdom to discern. When to say something. When not to say something when, when to do something when not to do something And so if we're going before the, the lord on a regular basis and say god i'm gonna give this up to you I can't control this you are in control Would you give me the words to say would you give me the, the understanding of what I need to do here What I don't need to do here I don't I don't want to mess it up anymore than i've already messed it up, right And so we pray and we ask god and we serve our families in that way. We follow God's holy spirit and His leading in that way Proverbs, I love this, Proverbs 3, 6 says this, Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. That's the New Living Translation. This let go idea or phrase is a phrase of submission. It's this phrase of of just giving it up and saying, God, I'm going to let go of this, and I'm going to give it to you. You can't be in a posture of, of, of submission before the Lord if you have clenched fists, right? If, if your fists are clenched, clenched and you're angry and you, you have a prideful, arrogant attitude and you're trying to like, and you're just mad about it all and, and you're just walking around like this, this is not a posture of submission. This let go idea is when you open up your hands, and you say, God, this is not something that I can control. God, will you work? Will you move? Will you move in my life and in my family's life? God, I'm going to let go and understand that you are the one. I will seek you and I will follow your path. There's an, another, the New Living says this, submit to him in all your ways, right? This giving go attitude and letting up is a like, give it on him, submit to the Lord in all your ways, Proverb says, and he will make your paths Straight. And so we let go. And we let God. And then the last one, the D, is die to self. Die to self. Galatians 2.20 says, uh, Paul wrote these words. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Think about that for a second. Think about a person, a Christian, who would say, It is not me anymore. It's not about me. Do you see the selflessness in that? Not a selfish attitude, but a a selfless attitude that says, this is not about me. When I became a follower of Christ, Paul said, my old self was crucified. It's no longer in existence. I live Christ lives in me. So I will live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. And so when we start to replace selfishness with selflessness, we start to look more and more and more like Jesus. We die to self by living more like him. And we set aside this prideful arrogant attitude of like focusing on ourselves and so can you imagine Can you imagine living in the context of a family where everyone is that's a Christ follower in that home has this same attitude? Like, everybody's fighting for who gets to do the dishes, right? Everybody, like, everybody's like, all right, I'll do it because I want to serve. I do it because I want to do the laundry. Like, I'm going to make sure, you know, imagine raising, you know, kids, like, they're messy and they're dirty and they're like, and like, they all, this, like, who pick up this and do that and do that. Imagine if there was this, like, attitude of like, hey, I'm going to, I want to be the first one to serve, right? I know it's pie in the sky. I know this is crazy for most people to even think about, right? But can you just imagine being like, hey, I'll do that. I'm going to do that without complaining or grumbling. It's not about me. It's about the family. It's got to get done, so let's just do it, right? Imagine living in a scenario where everyone was focused on others and not themselves. Imagine a family full of Jesus followers who took this seriously. You think that would change things in our homes, in our community, in our schools? You imagine a a, a community full of families moms and dads at home teaching their kids to just humbly serve others, to love them and to look for opportunities to be Jesus every day at school, on their teams, in the community. You think that would change this place? I do. And so Paul says, that's the attitude. To be crucified with Christ is to allow our fleshly desires to die to make room for the Holy Spirit to move in us. Jesus died for our sins. And Paul says that he died so that we could live without condemnation. If we seek and repent of them and accept him. How dare. How dare we. How, how dare you and how dare me keep around our sins. Like a like a Like a family pet. Right, These sins that we just kind of come back to over and over again. How dare us like say, I recognize that this is sinful. I recognize this is an attitude that I shouldn't have. This is a thing that I shouldn't be about. I recognize that this is not who I should be. Because the Holy Spirit is working on you and convicting you of that sin. But then we go back to it over and over and over. You ever been there? You ever done that? You ever been in a situation and go, why do I keep coming back to this, this sinful thing that like just draws me back in all the time? Oh, over and over and over again. Right? What Paul says is that when you become like Jesus... That old self should be crucified. It should be dead. It is gone. It no longer exists. Like, there's no going back to that old way. And if we would do that, if we would die to self, God could use us to change our families forever. So, here's the gold attitude. Take this with you this morning. Give up your pride, own your stuff. Let go and let God and die to self. I love, I love Chick-fil-A. You guys love Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A was founded by a guy named Truett Cathy. Truett Cathy, uh, is based in Atlanta and uh, he's gone to be with the Lord now. But Truett Cathy was the founder of Chick-fil-A. You've probably been to Chick-fil-A and you know that they're efficient they're friendly they have the best chicken sandwich around right it's really good food too you go through their drive-thru and i'm like i'm amazed like you know you sit in other drive-thrus for like half an hour and like i feel like they can read your mind at chick-fil-a they already know what you want right it's already there ready to go in like three and a half minutes right it's this incredible organization this incredible company truett cathy founded chick-fil-a with this principle he had this plaque That sat on his, his desk for years and years and years. And it said, I am third. I am third. And so what he, what he taught the, the, the people that worked uh, for him, the leaders in Chick-fil-A and and all the, 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 all the restaurants, all over the world, he said, this is the principle. It's this joy principle. J-O-Y, another acrostic for you. J-O-Y. Jesus first, others second, Yourself last. That's what he built Chick-fil-A on. So, so when you go into a Chick-fil-A and you're like, why is this, why does it seem a little different here? Why is this a, a different fast food experience than other places? It's because it's built on the principle of joy. Jesus first, other second, yourself last. I got to thinking this week, what if we started to lead our families that way? With this principle of joy. Jesus first. Others next. Everyone else next. And then yourself last. I, I don't know. But I suspect. If we adopted that attitude. That Christ like attitude. That our families. Would be golden. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God in heaven. We thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to gather in this place, to read your word, to sing songs of praise to you, to, to share in communion as a family. God, we thank you for what you've done in our families. I know that there are men and women that sit in this room today that, that had godly parents that raised them or a godly grandparent that spoke truth and life into their lives. And, and they're, they're where they are today because of that influence, because someone in their life modeled what it looks like to follow Jesus. I know I can say that for myself and I suspect that almost every other person in this room can say that as well. And so God, we thank you for those peoples, for those people, for those heroes of of the faith that have gone on before us, that set the example, that set the pace, that showed us what it looks like to follow Jesus and put others first. This Christ like attitude of of humbly serving other people, and dying to self. God, may we be a people that serve our families and serve this community. And serve our friends and serve the world in the same way. May others, when they look at us, when they see our lives, may they not see a selfish, prideful, arrogant person. But God, may they see a soul that is sold out for you. That is walking in the ways of your son. That loves them and wants to show them that same path. that's who we want to be this morning. Will you do that in our lives? Will you do that in this community? Will you do that in this church? It's in Jesus' name I pray you guys stand with me? We're going to sing this song, and and we invite you. There's uh, some folks back at the decision room. Bobby will be back there, some others. If you have a decision, if you want to talk to someone, pray with someone, you can head back there now or in the next few minutes as we close out this service. But let's sing this, this last song together.
0: God is with
2: us. He will go before. He will never leave us. He will never leave us. God is for us. He has opened up. He will never fail us. He will never fail us. Lifted up. He defeated the grave. Raised to life. Wasting life
3: Thanks again for uh, worshiping with us this morning. Just a couple quick announcements. Um, this is val- our uh, February, so all of our Valentine events are coming up this weekend, actually. On the 11th is our Daddy-Daughter uh, Date Night, so you can continue to sign up for that over in the children's area. Also, our Valentine banquet for adult couples is the next evening on the 12th. And then the 13th is the Super Bowl party, so our students will be having a, a big event for that. So if you have middle school kids, high school kids, make sure that they're here for uh, for that as well. Also, on February the 22nd is our next Pathways uh, event out in the Common Grounds area. It start at 6 o'clock. We'll have uh, Chick-fil-A. Uh, and child care is provided. So if you guys are interested, if you check uh, checking out the church, maybe you're looking for that next step in, in what your journey is with Christ or with the church, you can find out more about that uh, at Pathways. Hey, if you're a first-time visitor this morning, we'd love to connect with you. There's an I'm New Wall right out in the lobby, and they have a gift for you out there this morning. Hey, you guys, hey, thanks for being here. Thanks for braving the the cold, uh, wintry morning here on on uh, this February morning. Thanks for being here. Let's get out of here. Let's go love God, love people, and change this world. You guys have a great week.